This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome, and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No! No, that, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain, and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. <laughs> anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care, so don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Jason Tatum is here, Boston Celtic, came within a minute of the of the finals last year. Are you still replaying that or did you move on? Uh, I think I've moved on a little bit looking forward to next season, but uh, I definitely replayed that for a while, you know, after the season, just trying to get it through my head. You know, first year that we were so close, you know, to beating the best player in the world, to get into the championship, uh, but uh, that just makes me more excited for next year. What's your biggest memory from that game other than the three and the dunk on LeBron? And wow. then you kind of stared him down. I don't even know if you did it intentionally. I think my emotions got the best of me. Uh, besides those two, what would yeah. be my best memory? Uh, Crazy crowd. Yeah, just the atmosphere. You know, everything's on the line. Uh, it was our second game seven of that playoffs, but uh, obviously the most important. And uh, I feel like everybody in the world that watches basketball was watching that game. Yeah. It felt like an event. And it was really LeBron. It was just a classic LeBron game. It was, you know, 
There was there was a time in his career where maybe the crowd could have gotten to him a little bit, and those days are long gone. But it but still, the Celtics had a chance to win. When you had the dunk and the th- the three in the dunk or whatever the sequence was, it was like five minutes left. I really thought the Celtics were going to win at that point. And then it's just it was one of those things. The shots just weren't going. The same threes that were going in all year. That yeah. was it. They just kind of ran out. And then the same thing happened to Houston uh, the next night. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing. They were allowed in the three the whole year. It just didn't happen. Um, you guys got counted out heading in the playoffs when it got announced that Kyrie was out. And everybody's like, oh, well, they're done. They might win one round. And then you became the nobody believes in us team and you got a little momentum. When did you start to feel like you could actually make the finals? Uh, it was, well, when Kyrie got announced that he wasn't going to, it was March, end of March. I remember we were in Portland on our second West Coast road trip and, uh, we played Portland without him, Phoenix, Sacramento, and, uh, it was the West Coast swing. Then maybe Denver. It's one of those Utah. Utah. Yeah. So we play we play Utah, Sacramento, Phoenix, and Portland. All like when we once we found out he wasn't gonna be with us. And I mean, we figured we probably could beat Sacramento and Phoenix, but we beat we beat Utah and we beat Portland. And, you know, from then on, you know, that's when I really knew like, you know, Utah and Portland were two really good teams. And yeah. uh we had we still had twenty games left to figure, you know, our new team out. Um, you know, without him to find a way and figure out how we were going to be during the playoffs. And, um, you know, our team, our team was unique in the sense that, uh, you know, it was just going to take a collective effort every night. You know, I, I don't think the opposing team really knew who was going to be, you know, the leading scorer, you know, that night. And we just played really well as a team and we were young. We had a lot to prove because obviously uh, we, we heard all the talk about, you know, people didn't think that we were going to make it. Uh, we'd probably lose in the first round. And, you know, we had a lot of young guys, like including myself, that, you know, wanted to prove to to the world that we belonged here. And you're the two Marcuses who think they who think they could beat anyone on any day, no matter what the odds are. No, I would I would take those two <laughs> against anybody in the league. Were you sure. worried Marcus Smart was gonna leave? Uh I mean anything's possible, obviously in the NBA, but uh I knew, you know, we wanted him and he wants to be a Celtic and you know, it's where, he's, it's where he belongs. I can't see Smart in any other uniform right now. Did you text him? Say, don't go? Send him like an Amazon gift card? Uh, no, I, I didn't <laughs> want to pressure him. Uh, but he knew that I wanted him to stay and everybody on the team, we need him. What'd you learn from going against LeBron in that last round? I learned a lot. Because uh, you kind of went to grad school. <laughs> you, you were in Duke for one year and then you went to LeBron school. True. Uh, I learned that he was definitely the best player in the world. Uh, no question about that. And um, just how dominant dominant he is. And, like, he, it's, it's tough because, you know, people will go on the TV and, and be like, the Celtics can't let him do this or they got to take this away. It's like, we're not letting them do anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're trying. But, uh I mean, he's just a, he's a great player. Had you ever defended anyone even remotely as strong as him? As strong? Yeah. No, not that can move. At that position? No, not that can move like he can. No. Because the first, I remember you played him a bunch of times that year and a couple of times he posted you up and you do the forearm to the back thing. And he like really takes that personally when people do, they just kind of goes through people, which started about three years ago. There's really no way to defend him on the low post. 
No, I mean, you just got to, I mean, it's basketball is a team sport. So it's a lot of guys that are really, really, really tough to guard. Yeah. You know, in the NBA just by yourself. So, uh, you know, you got to trust in your, your help defense, really. Well, that one's tough because he can pass too. Yeah. So it's like, and, and he's, he's like, the, get that computer brain and he's, oh, you're going to do this. Well, then I'm going to send the ball this way. And he knows, it's almost like he's knows ahead of time what everybody's going to do. And that you had consecutive rounds, you had Giannis, you had Ben Simmons, and then you had LeBron, who are three of kind of the unicorns in the league right now. The Giannis thing, you guys, I'm not going to say you figured out, but you at least, you took away his coast to coast stuff and you took away the paint and you made him beat you outside. What happens if he gets a jump shot? Uh, I don't know if we figured it out. Um, I'm pretty sure he still averaged. I mean, he, he, he still averaged 20. Yeah. He had like 26. Yeah. 26 a game. So, uh, I guess you kept him mildly in check for considering how much he had the ball. Yeah. I mean, it was just a collective effort. Like you said, we just had to get back on defense because, you know, we know when he gets it, he's coming down full head of steam. Yeah. You know, trying to get to the basket, then trying to create. So we just have to load up and wall up. And uh, I mean, the thing that really not surprised me, but I noticed he he knocked down probably not 85, 90 percent of his free throws. And uh, yeah, it's a good sign for his jump shot. Yeah. The the move that he has where he does that, you kind of have a similar move, but you you kind of go to your left with it and you do that spin shot. Mm. Um, he has that, it just, he covers 20 feet in two steps and you don't realize that's happening until he already did it. It seems like a travel, but he's just kind of an alien. Um, then Ben Simmons was the other one where you were uh, basically the same game plan. Don't let him get to the rim. Keep him kind of outside the paint. And it seemed like that worked too, but you need the big guys. And I don't know. It's just, I was amazed you got to the finals with basically playing seven guys, you know, 20 games. Plus you got, you hit the rookie wall. When when did you hit the rookie wall first? In like December, January? January. You could feel it. Yeah, I could tell. So what did you, what'd you feel? Like your legs were gone? What was going on? It was physically, mentally, like it it we'd play on a, on a Tuesday and I have like 22 points. And then Thursday, I'd have two points dribbling the ball <laughs> off my leg, right. forgetting the plays, and I I just couldn't understand like like some days I would have it, and other days it was just like I don't know how to play basketball anymore. Yeah. But then after the All Star break, uh, I think that's good, especially for first year players, just to get a break from it for a little bit. And you did the whole All Star break. They put you through the uh, through the whole machine, rookie sophomore game, pictures with a million people interviews was that fun or was that like grueling uh a little bit of both but you know i looked at it as i'd rather be here than not be here yeah so uh you would have been frustrated if you didn't make it yeah for sure yeah well next year maybe you make the actual game that's the plan could have marked that down on the on the old calendar it's in charlotte yeah go back what what kind of feedback were you getting from the guys you were playing against because i've noticed the all-stars and the veterans they definitely will embrace the ones that they think are going to be good. And you could see that with LeBron and you. And even Kobe did that detail thing about you. And you could you felt like you were getting momentum as it went along. But what was happening during the season? What were you picking up from people? Uh, that's one thing that I was, I want to say, nervous about because, you know, there's a lot of stories, you know, as a rookie coming in that, you know, veterans aren't as acceptive to young guys. 
And, you know, some, like, I heard a lot of stories where, you know, some guys' bets were, like, mean to them or tried to get them in trouble or wouldn't help them out because, I mean, it is a business at, at the end of the day, and they were looking at it as he's going to take my spot. Competition. He's yeah. taking the money that I want. And so that's what that's one thing that uh, I, I want to say I was nervous about. But then it was totally opposite, you know, especially the guys on my team, like everybody – all the old guys from Kyrie Baines, Smart, Horford, Morris, like they just tried to help me out as, as much as possible and as any way. And it was a total shock because I heard so many stories of how the older guys don't like the younger guys. Right. But it was even like from guys on the other team after after games would come up, you know, and, you know, tell me, you know, things I could work on and see what they like in my game. And uh, you know, that was that was big because you know, for young guys, obviously we're in the NBA, but we still kind of look up to a lot of guys yeah. you know, that are older than us. Your guy was LeBron, right? LeBron. As a kid? No, my favorite player was Kobe. And uh, Oh, so when he did the detail on you, that was a big deal. Yeah, I watched it like 70 times. <laughs> that was my favorite player ever. But LeBron was one of them. Carmelo, Paul George, uh, KD. Guys that just, you know, play the wing position. Who did you borrow from when you were learning how to become a basketball player? Or you just like your own style? Uh, I took a little bit of, uh, from everybody, especially like I studied a lot of Paul George and Melo when I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, those are two guys that, you know, I always would watch film on. And and Kobe, Kobe's just from the day I started playing. Like he was the reason I wanted to play basketball. Like from a kid, like my earliest basketball memory was – of him. Uh, so how old are you, 20? So you start watching basketball. So the right around when he had like his 81-point game and stuff like that. Like you remember that. Even before then, like when I was like four and five, like I just always tell my mom, I always ask me what, what I wanted to be when I got older. And I, I was just like, I want to be Kobe. Yeah. She's like, you want to be in the NBA? It's like, no, like I want to be Kobe. Like he was just my favorite player. Had his posters, all his jerseys. He was that was my guy. Well, I don't like that he's trying to. He's become your friend, and you're working out with him in the summer. You know, he's on. He's a Laker. We don't like the Lakers. The Lakers were my favorite. I used to hate Boston. Yeah, well, we we need to fix that. No, I love Boston now. You're, now you're you're in Boston for the next twenty years. You gotta. <laughs> you might have to dump Kobe. You might have to get rid of him. <laughs> we hate the Lakers, and now they have LeBron. This could this could be the the rivalry could be back for. I mean, man, 60s, 80s, last decade. Now, now it could be on again. Uh, what did Co what is kind of stuff does Kobe tell you? Does he do that Mamba mentality and all that, like the uh, the mind game warrior, all that stuff, or does he actually work with footwork? What is he doing with you? Uh, you know, I I got a chance to you know just sit down and talk to him first. You know, I got to meet with him, and we talked about a lot of things, uh, basketball related, non basketball related. Uh, you know, just talked about, I tried to get into his mind and see how he went about things. Uh, just trying to get better each year, you know, how, what he wanted to improve on year after year. So he didn't backtrack or be complacent, you know, just to, you know, his, you know, will to just be the best and, and just striving to get better every year. And that's one thing I found interesting. And, uh, you know, when we were working out, you know, he was, he said uh, his his thing was just trying to break the game down and make it as simple as possible. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, he said the year he averaged 35, you know, all he worked on in the summertime was, you know, pivot foot, you know, trying to play off both pivots. And he said, I, that's all I did for the entire summer. And, uh, you know, obviously I expanded off a move from each pivot and a counter move to that. But he was like the, the entire summer, that's all I worked on, you know, when he averaged 35. Yeah. Well, it seems like Bird, Ma- Magic, Michael, Kobe, all those dudes would go into the summer and they'd try to add one thing that didn't have the year before. And, you know, LeBron didn't really do that for a while. And then I think when he went to Miami, he finally started adding stuff. And now, like, he even just in the last two years, he has that crazy fallaway now that I don't think he had two years ago. Now I wonder if he's going to play the four more this year. What, what does he add with that? But um, I always respected that. But so what So what are you going to add for next year? What's, uh, that, what's in the hopper? Hmm. You can't tell us? It's going to be a secret? No. I'm going to find out in the preseason. <laughs> uh, just working on getting stronger. Um, and, you know, shooting threes off the dribble. Uh, I got a lot of open shots last year. Yeah. I don't really expect that to happen as much this season. So being able to create my own shot from the three off the dribble this year is something that, you know, I want to get better at. So watching you as the playoffs went along, it was weird. You had like three, and you had like four seasons. You had a great first seven weeks. You hit the rookie wall. Then you came back in the regular season and you looked like you did the first six weeks. And then in the playoffs, I, I thought you actually went up a level. But the, the biggest thing that clicked, it seemed like, was the defense. And you just kind of, the switching thing, I, like how complicated is that to figure out from scratch, especially coming from college? The, it's very complicated because uh, there's, a, there's a whole entire new system. Yeah. New coaches, new terminology. Uh, had you ever played like that before where you were instead of covering somebody you're just switch 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 almost every time yes but you know each I guess each team has their own different rules when to switch how to switch yeah uh, you know when not to do it so it was just tough learning you know our system but uh, that's what you know preseason is for and that's where I credit the older guys to helping me out a lot at and you know Cause you got to learn on the fly. You know, it's funny. Like with that, not only do you idolize Kobe, but he talked to you because I thought he really lucked out with the situation he got drafted into. Cause a lot of times, especially like a top three pick, you send him go, you go to a crap team and you go to a team that either has a new coach or a coach who's about to be fired and a GM that either just got there is about to leave and probably an owner that's not great. And they have this five year plan. Um, the new guy gets shoved in. You're expected to do everything right away. You're losing 60 of 82 games and it just sucks. And Kobe went into a situation where he had Shaq and the team was good and they made the playoffs. And within a couple of years, they're in the finals. You were in a situation, they really leaned on you. The Hayward thing, which was awful, gave you even more minutes than you probably would have gotten. But you end up playing 100 games. Um, that's about as good of a fortunate situation I think as you can get in the NBA because think about it you could have gone on a team that was like 15 and 67 and had veterans that were completely threatened by you mm. and some coach that didn't know what to do with you like did you appreciate that as it was going along or you just caught in the season no I definitely was you know very you know grateful and thankful to you know where I got drafted to uh I don't think there was a better situation that I could have gone to just to you know go from Duke to go to Boston, you know, I think uh, 
you know, just coming from Duke really helped me out a lot. Yeah. Because uh, we were always, you know, the, the main focus and always on TV, TV and in the spotlight in college. And, you know, it was no different to where I got, you know, when I got to Boston. Um, you know, just a great organization. I was talking to guys on our team that have played for other teams and saying that, like, Boston is really different. You know, yeah. the, the support. Um, just the way they run things, you know, every organization from what we hear, you know, it's not, the, it's not great. It's not the same. So, um, you know, they say Boston is, is from, you know, the best or one of the best organizations. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a better situation for me to go to. You took it personally, you didn't go one. To go number one in the draft? Yeah. You can admit it now. No, of course. Uh, I mean, I grew up, I always wanted to be the number one pick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wasn't. You're a competitive guy, though. You're like, really? I'm not going to be number one? Okay. I'll file that one away. But it wasn't like I I knew that on draft night. It was kind of like, I feel like the media had a lot to do with it, you know, saying that, you know, Markel and Lonzo were going one and two. So I kind of just not accepted it, but really, you know, I kind of understood, like, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Because, you know, that was just the talk. Markel and Lonzo wanted two. So I just uh, figured I was going third, maybe fourth. I knew I was going three or four. Well, you would have gone one if all the Lakers had to do was bluff and pretend they were taking you second and the Celtics wouldn't have been able to do the trade. That was the the thing that really helped the Celtics. I joke with Danny all the time. It should have just took me number one. Could have kept a few dollars in my Paycheck. <laughs> yeah, you would have made a little more, right? Tell him he owed me some money. <laughs> you should tell Magic Johnson. All you had to do is bluff, but I would have gone first. You would have made me an extra. Yeah. I forgot about that, the salary cap thing. Did you get to know Markel at all or no? Yeah. You know, me and Markel, we we really close. Um, we work out with the same trainer now. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So I see him at the Drew, gym. right? Yeah, yeah, Drew. So I see Markel all the time. How's we, he looking? He's looking good. He's getting better. Uh, and I'm excited for him because uh, obviously – he wants to play, and uh, he wants to get out there and show people what he can do, and uh, I'm excited. I'm buying Markel stock right now. I think he's t- he's too fast and he's too athletic. There's there's no way he shouldn't be a good NBA player at some point. He's, he just has too much skill. I don't know what happened to him last year, but it seems like he got through it. But um, I don't know. I'm always going to bet on athletic ability. I love Lonzo, too. I think he's going to be really good. He got hurt midway through last year, but um, I think that draft has a chance to go down as one of the all-timers, especially because Mitchell was later. I still think uh, I think Fox is still going to be really good. I like marketing. I think that draft's going to be a special one. Did you know all those guys before the draft, just from AAU circuits and stuff? Yeah, I knew everybody that was in my high school class. I knew all of those guys. Because you were always like a top. You were always in the top of those lists and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've always played against each other in AAU camps and USA basketball, uh, college. You know, I went to college with Frank Jackson, Harry, yeah. Luke Kennard. So I, I, I knew basically everybody. Uh, from so from like eighth grade on, you started to know these guys? Yeah, pretty much. Who did you think like in eighth, ninth grade was going to be the best one out of Like who did anybody really stand out at age 14? Harry Giles. He was he was by far the best player in our grade. And I'm pretty sure everybody, you can ask anybody that was in our class, like even in high school, like Harry, he, Harry was the only player that I would, I would have said in high school, like 
Yeah, he might be better than me. Really? Like I our, saw him in summer league. He looked good. Our senior year, he didn't play one game, and he still was ranked number one. So it shows you that he was he he was the man in high school. Wow. And I'm pretty. I'm I'm excited. I hope he. You know, he's going to come back, and uh, obviously, he has a lot to prove, and you know, show everybody, you know, what he can do because he's basically taking two years off. But uh, in high school, he was by he was the best player. I saw one of those, those teen, the team USA, like under 18 or under 19 or whatever one of those. And he was in when he was healthy and it was like, oh my God, that guy looks like KG. Like he literally was the same type of, it was like KG had cloned himself as a 17 year old. I used to call him Chris Webber. That's why, that's who I thought he used to play like. Oh, that's interesting. Could he pass like him back then? He could, he could do everything at 6'11". I'll tell Danny to trade for him. Danny can sneak, can sneak in. Sacramento's easy to trade with. You just call them. You just, <laughs> you just, just offer them things. They eventually they say yes. Do you, Harry Giles went to Duke though, right? He only played like seven games, or he just couldn't get healthy. Uh, yeah, he went to Duke. Uh, Harry, he's like he's like my best friend. Yeah. We were during USA basketball. We were roommates, and uh, we were roommates in college. Uh, I think I don't know how many he played in college. Mm. I was I at summer league. I was impressed because he was moving around well, but you could just tell. You can watch enough basketball, you know, within like five minutes, you could tell he had a feel for the game. And when they picked him, I was like, "That's risky." Like that guy's had two knee surgeries already. But you know, now with modern science and stuff, um, what made you go to Duke? Uh, Coach, Coach K? K. Coach K. Probably. So he sucked you in, huh? <laughs> That's why we have JJ Redick on the on. He's one of our podcasts. Cody he talks about the magic of Coach K. It just sucks you in. Yeah, because uh, I only took one official visit in college. It was my junior year. Uh, I wanted to commit on spot. Yeah, but uh, I waited a little bit. But you know, Coach K. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's anybody like him. Yeah. So just, did he pull the thing where he had Kobe on his cell phone and called him for you? No, he didn't do anything. Come like on, that. admit it. He didn't do that? Nope. Nothing? Uh-uh. Texted him? Nope. I never know if he if those stories are true about his recruiting stuff, where he has the guys on the speed dial. Oh, you're a big <laughs> Carmelo fan? I'm gonna get him on the phone right now. Carmelo, it's Coach K. No, he didn't he didn't <laughs> do that. How did you how did you get bounced in the tournament that year? I forget. With Duke. We lost to South Carolina in the second round. Ah. Uh, was that a worse loss than the game seven calves? Yeah. Because you didn't see it coming. I mean, we no, we knew they were good, but NCAA threw us in a trick bag. It was we played South Carolina second round in South Carolina. So it was a it was a home game for them. Oh, you think they're sticking it to Coach K? I don't know. There's a lot of Duke haters in the world. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, 
you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. You grew up in St. Louis, the St. Louis hoop scene. So Larry Hughes, your uncle, Jojo White. Mm. Who else? Darius Miles. East St. Louis, right? Close. Really is basically St. Louis. uh, David Lee. David Lee. Bradley Bill. Oh, Bradley Bill's a good one. Anthony Bonner. He's an old, old guy. Jahidi White. Darius Miles is a good example of got drafted by the wrong team. Yeah. I think if he had gone to a more stable team that kind of knew what he was and pushed him that direction, instead he went to the Clippers and it was like a free-for-all and he was playing four positions and never really figured out what it was. He still made money. He signed one big contract. But. Yeah, he did. So Hughes, um, I remember when he came into the draft, that was the Paul Pierce, Nowitzki, Michael Olawa, Candy, all that stuff. He went two spots ahead of Pierce. But I remember he he was one of the first one and done guys. He came in because his, his I think his brother was sick. He needed to yeah. he needed to uh make money basically right away. And he kind of knew he wasn't ready. And I remember thinking, oh man, I wish he could have stayed. Now everybody's one and done. But what'd you learn from Larry Hughes? He must have been giving you advice from the moment he knew you could make it, right? Yeah. Uh he's he's a lot older though. The yeah. the guy I was really close to was Brad, because me and Brad only five years, six years apart. Yeah. Uh, when he was in twelfth grade, you know, we went to the same school, so my middle school was connected to his high school. Really? So after, he used to take me home every day after school because I would uh, we would shoot around after after he would practice, and even after he got drafted, he would come home in the summertime, and uh, he would pick me up every day in the summer take me to the gym. We work out. We go play the game. We go back and work out again. And uh, he dropped me back off at home. Sometimes I'll stay over his his house. But, uh, you know, Brad's like my big brother. Uh, so 12th grade Bradley Beal would pick up 6th grade Jason Tatum? 7th grade. 7th grade. He would take me home from school because we live, he lived like around the corner for me, maybe two yeah. minutes. So he would drop me off at home and then he would go home. That's amazing. And now both of you guys, did he make, he made the all-star team last year, didn't he? Yeah, this year. Yeah, last year. So what, so what do you think he saw in seventh grade Jason Tatum other than a kid that he liked? Did he think you had like a chance at that point? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I was pretty, I was always pretty tall. And, uh, you know, it was, it's funny because his mom was my mom's high school volleyball coach. Yeah. So we've always had a, you know, connection. We live in the same neighborhood. And uh, especially after he got drafted when I was in high school, you know, you could kind of see that I really, really had a chance to make it. Yeah. And uh, he just wanted, you know, to, you know, be that person to, to help me out and, you know, be a great role model. 
You did. There's a big Boston Globe piece about you last spring about growing up in St. Louis and what your life was like and all that. And, you know, I think a lot of guys who have come into the league have had rough childhoods, things like that. How, now that the life you have now and you're on these charter planes and you have money to pay for stuff, like how long ago does that seem like? Not not long, not long enough. Uh, I've always been in the league one year, still 20. So uh, it was very recently. Was thing, your neighborhood dangerous? When I was younger, uh, so like elementary school and middle school it was. But once I got to high school, it it got a lot better. Yeah. Uh, but St. Louis isn't the best place to live at yeah. as a city. But uh, I love St. Louis to death. If yeah, St. Louis had a team, I would go play for St. Louis. You did that's that would, that's all it would take. Well, yeah. maybe that's a that's a good reason to have an expansion team there. <laughs> Come back. I Wait, I, now I'm going to root against this. This is a bad <laughs> idea. I don't like this. Well, they had the Hawks. They won a title there in 1958. They beat the Celtics. Yeah, I remember that. Well, yeah. I don't remember, but yeah, I know Bob, about it. Bob Pettit, and then they moved to Atlanta, which I think they probably would have been better off staying in uh in St. Louis. The school, the college, never really took off as a basketball school. They had a couple of moments, but St. Louis University. Yeah, they never. They did a couple times where it was like, oh, this is interesting this year, but they never like had a run or anything. Yeah, that was my second choice for college. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, you think that would have been a good idea to stay home? I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm obviously glad I went to Duke, but uh, you know, I, I, one of the biggest reasons was you know, I love St. Louis a lot. I thought I was going to get homesick, so I did. I wasn't sure if I wanted to leave St. Louis or. You know, it would work out, and I just felt really comfortable. Yeah, you know, being home. So, I, when you go back during the summers, what do you do? Are you doing the camps? What's going on to St. Louis? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had two basketball camps back in St. Louis. Uh, yeah, I noticed there was some videos. I was monitoring your summer. I was making sure you weren't going to the ESPYS and you know letting the fame get to your head or anything. But it seemed like it was all basketball. Yeah, basketball and business. Business? What kind of business? Uh, I went to China on a on a business trip with Nike. Yeah, two weeks ago. Uh, I've been traveling city to city, basically doing photo shoots, appearances, commercials, things like that. One thing I don't understand about your generation, I've talked about this on a podcast. You guys all come into the league totally polished now, and and. My theory is that the generate. I always think the guys emulate the generations before them. So the generation right before you is the LeBron, Kobe, and all those guys handle the media great. They have all these interests off the court. They're trying to be businessmen. Like, do you sense that even when you're in high school that these guys have all these things going on? You want to be like that? Yeah, I think now, you know, when I was in high school, uh, you know, there's all these specials and you know, you know, now with videos and TV, uh, you know, guys, you know, have a chance to, you know, speak, you know, on what they enjoy to do. And, you know, the good thing about that is, you know, we look up to them and, yeah. um, you know, when they talk about these off, off the court things that, you know, they want to do and expand and life beyond basketball, you know, every time we go to a camp in high school or anything, you know, we always have seminars and, Talking about, you know, when the ball stops bouncing, you know, what are you going to do? With it? Yeah. Uh, you know, you hear all these stories about, you know, guys that had a lot of money and lost all their money. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, when they're willing to come back to the, these all-star camps and, you know, tell their story and, you know, just tell us what not to do. Um, so I think we have more of an advantage, you know, than maybe guys before us did come into the league. And uh, that really, really helps us out a lot. Yeah, your class in particular is all of the people in that class seem like they're like 28 years old already. Like you, you were doing those post-game interviews with Abby Chin. And I was like, what the hell? This dude's 19. He's, he's answered like he's a 10-year pro. Um, I, I don't understand it. I'm My generation of basketball, the rookies came in and they seemed like rookies. You know, <laughs> Barkley was, people like Barkley, occasionally have like Barkley would come in and he was like, wow, that guy's a character. He's going to be something. But for the most part, people seem kind of overwhelmed by it. Um, going into year two, are you monitoring the other contenders and like, were you following the July, the signings, Boogie Cousins to the Warriors, Kawhi to Toronto? Do you care about that stuff or you just wait till the season starts? Uh, I mean, I care. I mean, it's in my profession. So, cause Kawhi's in your conference now. Yeah. You haven't really gone against him. I never played against him. Yeah. Was, it's, uh, it's not, it's not fun if he's on his game. He, he's, he's a monster. No, I'm a, very much aware. Yeah. From what I've seen. So we got him. We have Philly didn't really do anything. They lost a couple of bench guys. They added Wilson Chandler. Golden State added Boogie. The Lakers obviously are completely different. Houston's a little bit worse. And worse? you guys, yeah, a little bit worse. They lost Ariza. I thought he was big for them. They got Melo. So you think Melo makes up for Ariza? Now, is this because you're a fan of Melo or are you actually you see the basketball fit for him? I think he'll fit. I think he'll fit well in. Well, I'm definitely a fan of Melo. And obviously, he's not the defender that Trevor Reese is, but he's a better scorer. And the Carmelo Anthony defense. See, we're not getting a lot of these this summer. Yeah. A lot uh, of people think that's not going to work out, including a myself. People, a lot of people hate on Melo. I don't, I don't see why. I he's think averaged it, 20 points every year in his career besides last year. Not too many people have done that. I was. One of the last, I have a long Carmelo column in my archives. I was one of his last, I thought he could be the best player in a title team, guys. I mean, he's past his prime now, but I still feel like there was a path for him not different than what happened with Nowitzki in Dallas, where he was the lead scorer and they had the right team around him and you could go to him at the end of the games, he'd get buckets. And Carmelo never totally had that team. But on the other hand, he kept signing with the Knicks, you know, and that was the last few years of his prime. I don't know. You're in a situation where, um, I mean, there's so much, there's so much talent this year. I'm going to be interested to see how the minutes shake out. Have you thought about that? I don't know if you realize this, but Gordon Hayward's really good and needs to play. And then you got you and you got Jalen Brown, you got Marcus Morris, Marcus Smart, Kyrie. There's a lot of players in this team. Al Horford. How are the minutes going to work? I don't know. Uh, that's Brad. That's Brad's job. You know, our job is just to go out there and be the best versions of ourselves, and uh, you know, understanding our role and you know what each one of us needs to do to make sure that we're the best team that we can be. That was a media training answer. That was really well done. That's <laughs> why you got to do that in the preseason too. <laughs> just got to go out there and do our jobs. <laughs> you have to, the biggest thing for you is 
if you can play more of the four and guard other fours, that opens up more minutes, I think. Right. Which mean which goes back to the getting stronger thing. Right, exactly. So That's, how do you get stronger? What are you up to? Eating as much as possible and lifting as often as I can. I know I'm not gonna throw on twenty pounds in one summer. Uh you gotta do it over like the course of like three years, right? Yeah. I don't wanna just get super big. You know, I want it the the strength and the weight to you know be comparable to, you know, how I play. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Where did that move come from when you go at the guy and instead of going right, you go left and you do the Dr. J swoop thing? When did you, where did that come from? Did you steal it from somebody? And when could you first do it? Uh, I mean, you try things out in a game, improvise. Uh, I think basketball is a lot about, you know, reactions. Because and- I think that's an original move. I don't know if Dr. J had that one exactly, but I, I, other than that, I haven't seen that one before. Cause it always seems like you're going to crash into the cameraman. <laughs> I'm always, it's one of those, Isaiah Thomas was like that too. And he would have the, the, his sprawling lefty move and it would always end up with him going into the camera. And I was like, maybe pull that one back 10%. But the, uh, the spin, nobody ever said, everybody always thinks you're going right on that one, but then you could also go right as well. So you what's do- the third variation of that? Dunk it. Just dunk it right on him? Yeah. Did you know you were going to dunk on LeBron when you dunked on him? Or was that and in the moment, oh, this is how I'm taking it? I knew when Brad drew up the play, I told myself I was going to dunk the ball. Uh, I was trying to, I think we were taking too many jump shots at the time. And I remember I told myself, just go to the rim, go try to dunk it. I didn't. I obviously didn't know he was going to be down there. Yeah. But I remember when I turned the corner, I saw him, and I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and I I told my I was just like I just knew I had to I just tried to dunk it as quick as possible because obviously he's a great shot blocker so uh, I just tried to I don't, it just happened so fast like I don't even remember jumping I just remember like I guess jumping and then I blinked and then I dunked on and then the crowd went crazy and I chest bumped him he gave you the props right afterwards, though. Yeah, he did. He did the old, the lean in, guard, hiding from the camera. It was like whispered, like, yeah, that was good. That was, that's that's his official um, blessing when he does that. I like that. I The thing with LeBron, when he's out of the league, I wonder who becomes the guy. Like, right now, he's the most important guy to do that. And then when he leaves, who's the next guy? You know, he's kind of the father figure now. And then eventually it'll be... You know, KD, or I, I don't know who it'll be. And then 
then the torch will keep passing. Um, one other thing about that game seven that we should mention, the Celtic fans wanted you to shoot more and felt like every once in a while you'd remember you, you could get to the rim whenever you wanted. And then other times you wouldn't, and it was a total rookie thing. Like you'll get it, but could you sense even it were your teammates? Cause they were, I went to a couple of those games. They were yelling at you to shoot. So how do you get over that hump of having that confidence? What's the next step for you? Uh, Walk me through it. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just a rookie thing. Um, like you don't believe, even though you know you can do it, you don't totally believe it yet or so much going on, you're processing everything. What is it? I think it's more of like, I don't know. I think at first I was just trying not to step on anybody's toes. Yeah. Trying to fit in. Uh, not that I am trying to step on anybody's toes, but uh, I think you just got to be yourself. Um, I think once you put in the work and you show that, you know, you deserve to take, you know, of you've earned some of these shots. Yeah. Then, uh, you know, I think it's, I don't think anybody has to say anything. It's just known like, like Kyrie, like he can shoot any shot. He wants to. Like, he's earned that right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it takes time. Yeah, I felt the best thing about you last season was you could fit into anything, right? And that to have that switch of, oh, shit, we need a basket. I'm, I got this this time. That takes a couple years. Kyrie is who – he was on the pod last month, and we were talking about, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get by somebody once in the first quarter – just to show the guy he can do it. And then he doesn't do it again for two quarters because he already knows he can do it. Whereas other people would be like, oh, I might get 60 tonight. And they'll just keep going by the guy. He just does it the one time to kind of plant the seed. And then he knows he can do it for uh, for later. He he was, I've never watched anybody like him day in, day out before. Where like there, there must have been 20 games where I thought he was going to get 50 points. And then he wouldn't shoot for an entire quarter. <laughs> <laughs> What was it like to guard him in practice? Uh, Are there any tricks? We didn't really practice. You never got switched on him? We didn't really scrimmage that much in practice. Yeah? Uh, it was more of just recovery. You know, everybody would work out individually. And, you know, because we had a lot of guys that, guys that were banged up this year. So mm. we didn't want to risk anything in practice. So we would do 5 on no you know, walkthroughs. So, uh, when did you, when did you realize that Stevens was a coaching freak and that he could drop magical inbound plays out of thin air and do all these crazy things that he does during games? Was that right away or is that like halfway through the season? Like, oh my God, this is unique. right away. But my favorite play is when we played um, Philly game three. Oh, the Al Horford play? Yeah, but even the play before that when I think it might have been before overtime or might have been in overtime where I was taking it out by our bench and we were doing some cuts and I threw it over the top to JB and he caught it over Ilya Soba and laid it in. But, like, he just, Brad, the Al Horford play, he just knew, like, I remember I was at the block and he knew Philly was switching everything. So when I, whoever was guarding Whoever, I, whoever set the pick for me, I ran to the corner. Their man switched on me. And 
Al set the, set a pick for I think JB, so that made Embiid switch, and JB ran to the other side of the court. So we wanted Embiid away from the basket. Yeah, and we knew once they switched, he was going to be on top of them. So all he said, all you got to do, Al, is seal them, and you'll be wide open. And like when it worked, just how he said it was going to work, I was like, wow, like, <laughs> that was crazy. Like everything worked exactly how he said it was going to work, and I mean, it won us a game. That play was sick. I don't know. I've been. I think this is his seventh year, and I think he's run like two hundred out of bound plays at this point. And like half of them either worked or should have worked, or somebody missed a shot. But he's the first one I've ever seen do the one where it's the guys inbounding from mid court, and he just throws to a spot in the corner, and somebody actually runs and catches it like a football receiver, and then turns and shoots. I'd never seen that before. And at the Celtics, I think have won games of that. I like the fact that it's not always who you maybe expect right. is going to get the ball. It's just who he, who he knows is going to be open. And it's been guys that sometimes would not play for 10 games, and then we have guys that are hurt, and they're playing, and he draws, draws out uh, out-of-bounds play for them, and they're wide open and hit the shot. Right. Um, we would have never thought he was going to draw it up for him. He does, like, one of the things he does – it seems like everybody feels like they're they have skin in the game, kind of on the team. Like Aaron Baines could end up shooting the biggest shot of the game in the corner. It's 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 just <laughs> if you if you're getting minutes, you might be involved in the biggest play of the game, basically. Which I haven't seen a lot of coaches do. I think the NBA has gotten pretty predictable with the good teams, where it's like this guy's probably going to shoot. If he doesn't shoot, this guy's going to shoot, and then those are the two options. And uh, he uh, he's figured out a way to be a little more democratic about it. What are you most looking forward to this season? Uh, getting back to the playoffs. Playoffs are so much fun compared to the regular season. Yeah, uh, just a, it's like a different season, and it was just so much more intense, and I, it was just so much more fun to me. How long would you, if you could be in charge of the length of the NBA season? How long would how many games would you have? Uh, I don't know. That's tough because less games we play, the less money we make. Right. I think everybody likes their paycheck. So I think you're going to do fine with money. It's, so. it's all it's all coming. I think you're you're in good shape. Um, you had did so Hayward has got added. That's it for this year, right? There's no really new guy. The nucleus is back, but with Hayward. Yep. And potentially there's, we didn't even talk about Jalen Brown. Potentially there's a Jalen Brown, Hayward, you, Horford, Kyrie, five guys who can shoot threes lineup out there. I'm excited for that one. Me too. Jalen Brown, are you buddies off the court or just on-court running mates? No, we cool off the court. Yeah? Mm. Did you know him in the circles before? Yeah. Uh We were- Because he we was were, a year older. We were at camps together before. He was my roommate at one camp. Uh, we were on a college visit together. Uh, so I do JB a couple years before the NBA. So you guys are kind of a team now. Yeah, we're the young guys. You're tandem. On the team. When anything bad happens, it's our fault. <laughs> That's one thing I noticed during the year, no matter what. So JB or JT. You so, didn't switch. It was your fault. If somebody else, man, got scored on. JB was in the wrong spot. Somebody <laughs> forgot to play, take me out the game. 
How hurt was he in the playoffs compared to what we knew as fans and media people? With his hamstring? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He wasn't faking it. Uh, no, no. Was he like 60%, 50%? It was hard to say because he was able to cheat and you could never tell. You knew he was hurt, but you could never tell how hurt he was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, JB is really tough. And uh, he, he was fighting through it. I remember the first, first, I think it was game two of Philly. First game he came back, uh, the first play he got in, he stole the ball and dunked it. Yeah, and then he was landing, and it seemed like he got hurt again. I remember that. Yeah, he was limping. Yeah. Was like, only you would go dunk the ball <laughs> your first play back. What's what's the Jalen Brown-Marcus Smart relationship like? They always— How much ball busting is involved with that combination? Yeah, those two guys always joking in the locker room. They always got something to say about the other person. And, I mean, they trying, they being funny, but they always mess with each other in the locker room, practice. On the bus, just whenever. Marcus competing at everything? Uh, I don't know. It's like JB coming out the shower and Marcus will say somebody's toes. <laughs> Something like that. Just anything. Are you guys playing are you guys playing cards on the on the plane and stuff? Uh or are you guys all too young? Our plane, from what I've heard. Is the most chill plane in all of the NBA. Really? Yeah. Like, there's no cards, no loud music. Everybody just put their headphones on and go to sleep. That's it. When oh, you turn 21? Next next uh, February, March? March 3rd. And how old's your kid now? Eight and a half months. Oh, so crawling. Yeah, standing up. Standing Camp. up. He, he'll stand up for like six seconds, then he'll fall. He can walk with a walker. Yeah. But uh, he should be walking soon, really soon. Well, that's it's all over when they can start to walk. Yeah. It's fun when you can kind of put them in one spot and they can't really move, but when they can start walking over to like that cabinet over there and just knocking things over, it's fun for about two days. And then <laughs> it's not fun at all when they start breaking stuff. Right. You, and he'll get to come to games this year. He you came to all the little, You got to put the little earplugs in. He came to all the home games last year. Oh, really? He just didn't know what was going on. Yeah, he was asleep for half the game. He didn't. He didn't wear the headphones though. He he didn't like them, but the noise didn't bother him at all. Oh, that's good. Well, it's gonna hurt your feelings when he picks another Celtic as his favorite player. So that yeah. seems to be a recurring theme with NBA players with kids. That would. But they pick somebody on another team. He ends up being like a Giannis fan or something. I won't allow that. Yeah, that. See, that's the attitude. I my. my my son was like, LeBron's on the Lakers. I love LeBron. I'm like, not anymore. <laughs> you know, you're not, you, you, let's never discuss this again. It's not happening. What'd you name your son? Uh, Jason. But Jason. We call him Deuce. Like the second. Nice. So his nickname is Deuce. Are you putting a senior on your jersey? Nah. Yeah. Keep it, keep it the way it is. Yeah. It'll, it'll sell more without the senior. And you're Nike now, right? Uh-huh. When do you get a shoe? Soon, I hope. What would you want to call it? Air Tatum? No. Nah. The crossover? I should have workshopped some names before I got here. Uh, you don't have a nickname right, right? Jay Smooth. That's what they called me when I was at Duke. Jay Smooth. I like that nickname. Jay Smooth? All right. I'll try to get going. Um, so when does preseason start? Like Media three, days, four weeks? 24th. First preseason game is the 28th. 
So you already worked on your, well, you know, we all got to, we're going to play minutes and just got to handle like professionals. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to get back to the playoffs. Got that whole thing down. It's the truth. Year two is a big year for NBA players. I'm looking forward to it. Me you too. Went, you went through, you hit all your you hit all your marks. You know what the rookie wall is like. You know what it's like to play in the different cities. Year two is always a, a big leap. Good luck. I'm excited for it. I'm excited too. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.